good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, that was weak. Come on. How's everybody doing? That's right. Y'all are going to be yelling for the Cowboys later on. Let's yell for Jesus, right? Some of y'all don't like the Cowboys, clearly. Okay. Well, for those of you that don't know who I am, uh, my name is Aaron Castellanos, and I have the privilege to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. And uh, before I get started, I just want to give credit where credit is due. And uh, I really want to just give praise and credit to our pastors. You know, this week our pastors took a week off to spend time with their family, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. You know, I grew up in church, and you've seen all kinds of different examples of ministry, and sometimes you see examples where pastors never take breaks. You know, they don't understand how to set boundaries, and I'm just so grateful that we have pastors that understand that their number one ministry is their family. Amen? So can we give it up for our pastors this morning? Amen. So just a little bit about ourselves. Uh, again, my name is Aaron Castellanos. My wife and I were part of the uh, spiritual directors team here at NCC. Uh, we've been here for about five years now, and uh, our role here right now is uh, the New Life team, which means that when people come up and they accept Jesus, we walk them through the next steps on what to do. And uh, this church has been such a blessing to us. I mean, man, I can't even think about all the th things that uh, the church has helped us with and just how much they've blessed us. And so we're forever indebted to this church and this ministry. And uh, as you can see here, here's a picture of our family. I'll kind of introduce you to each one of them. Uh, the one on the very far right, that's our oldest daughter, Isabella. She's eight years old. And when you talk about a natural born leader, that's her right there. This girl right here will stand in front of class in elementary school and make speeches and say things like, how many of you want to go to recess? And everybody raises their hands. Well, then we need to listen to the teacher. And I'm like, dang, she needs to go into sales later on, right? She's really good, has a heart of gold. The next one is actually sitting in the front row. That's my baby, Nora. She's uh, six years old. And I call her my fancy baby. She, she's kind of getting shy right now. Look at her. I knew she was going to do that. The reason I call her that is she will change multiple times a day just for the heck of it. And she's so big on detail. And this morning, as you know, we were getting ready to leave the house, I just had my undershirt on. And she comes up to me. She's like, are you wearing that? And I'm like, hey, I got an under, like a top shirt. I'll calm down. But she's like, I don't know. She's just funny. But she's going to do something amazing for sure. The one my wife is holding, that's Alexa. She's two years old. And some of you may not even know her name because she goes by Fuzz. So if you ever hear people say fuzz, that's her right there. She was born with real fuzzy hair, and so we just started calling her fuzz, and it just stuck with her. And the only thing I can say about Alexa is get around her, and you'll know what kind of baby she is. I mean, she's got her personality. I'm very curious to see what God does with her when she grows up. And then the one I'm holding in the picture is what we call the mic drop. And uh, this is our baby boy, Judah. He just turned one about uh, two weeks ago or so. And uh, I mean, I love my girls. Like, they're, they're so special to me. I love them, but there's something different about a boy. Can we agree, those dads that have boys? Right? And so he, he's already that way. He'll, he'll be affectionate with my wife. And then I come close, and he just wants to, like, wrestle. And I'm, like, already at one year old, right? And so he's, he's been an amazing baby, probably the easiest baby uh, that I've ever experienced or have ever seen. He's just, just easy. And God knew what he was doing when he made him easy on our fourth one, right? And so, uh, so one of the things that we had to do in transition to going from one, two, three, and four, we're considered a pretty big family. When you see us get out of the car, it's like boom, 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 boom. And sometimes, like, we're walking in the store and like, man, look at all these kids. Like, we've got an entourage walking through the store. It's crazy. 
And, uh, and one of the things that we had to do this last year is transition between vehicles. Now, when your family's growing and you're young, the one thing you want to avoid buying is what? See, y'all see how you already know? We want to avoid buying a minivan. So we kept thinking, we're like, man, what are we going to get? You know what I mean? Like, I want an SUV, but then at the same time, like, those sliding doors, just pressing the button, having automatically open, it's so easy for them to get in. So we went back and forth. We prayed. We fasted. We asked for prayer on Sunday morning. We're like, what do we do? We finally gave in. And this is what we did. We said, we will buy a minivan on one thing that we can put some 20-inch rims on it. So we went and put some 20-inch rims on our minivan. Now, how many of y'all know a person that has 20-inch rims on their minivan? So that's our way of holding on to our youth right there. And I kid you not, when I bought the minivan, I started getting gray hair. I'm like, what is going on? Like, it's just crazy. So I'm like holding on to it as much as I can. And the last person that I definitely, definitely want to give credit to is, is my wife. She's sitting in the front row. I don't cry a lot. And um, when we were singing the song about God is good, God started really showing me how good he is. Um, my wife has been an amazing, amazing spouse. I would not be where I'm at if it wasn't for her. We were celebrating our 10th year this year, and uh, we actually started dating when I was 13 and she was 14. So I got me an older woman because that's how I roll, right? <laughs> and um, and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm singing that. God starts showing me your wife is next to you. My family is here, you know. And uh, this is where I started crying. Oh, man. I'm trying not to. But... Um, when I forget the goodness of God, I always think about this guy right here, Brian Robert. We started working at a bank together a few years back, and um, when I tell you that, you see the power of God transforming someone, that's him right there. And I still remember the day he, he reached out to me in the morning and he said, how do I make Jesus my Lord and Savior? And I got on the phone, and there at work, I led him to the Lord while we were at work. He was in a different branch. And, and just to see the transformational work that God has done in his life, he's turned him around completely, has a beautiful wife, has kids. He's impacting people, leading them to the Lord. And so whenever you feel like what you're doing doesn't matter, you don't understand. Something is happening. The word of God says that his word does not return void. Does that make sense? And so, man, Brian, it's a blessing to have you both here, you and Ashley. Golly. Whew. Okay, let me get started here. All right. Well, let's pray uh, this morning before we get started. Father, we thank you so much this morning, God, for the opportunity to be in your house. God, I thank you for the word that you're about to speak, God. I stand in authority right now, God, and I speak against obstacles and distractions in the name of Jesus. I pray that your word move forward and it reaches our innermost being, God. Let lives be transformed. Let chains be broken. Let marriages be restored today in Jesus' name, God. We open up our hearts to receive your word. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I really started thinking about, you know, how we're celebrating 10 years of marriage. And when we first got married, we started getting all kinds of different pieces of advice. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You hear things like, don't ever stop dating, always have fun, you know, don't go to work angry, uh, make sure that you kiss each other before you go to bed at night. And all those things are great, don't get me wrong. But the one thing that I don't remember getting a lot of advice on is how to have intimacy with my wife. 
Now, let me be very clear on what I mean by intimacy, because a lot of times I think that when we hear the word intimacy, we immediately associate it with sex. Can we agree with that, right? That's what the culture thinks. But intimacy is actually more deeper than that. If you really look up the definition of intimacy, it's an emotional closeness. It's being able to let your guard completely down to allow someone to get close in a way that nobody else can do. And so if I were, for example, set up a romantic dinner with my wife, I've got the candles lit, I've got the rose petals sprinkled around, got the 90s R&B music because that's the era I grew up in. Y'all remember 90s R&B music? I believe that was the best era ever. That's whenever you have somebody at the beginning or in the middle that goes into talking with a deep voice, right? Or y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to have to give you an example, right? They would be singing and it would go into, girl, you know I love you. I don't have time for you to be playing games with my heart like that. Just come back to me, baby. And then they start singing again, right? And so... I could have all of that said, and from the outside looking in, you would think well, we're having an intimate moment, but if there is not trust and our guard is not let down completely, intimacy does not happen between me and my wife. And I'm afraid that it can be like that sometimes in our relationship with God, that we could do all the right things, we could appear doing the right things, I sing the songs, I show up to church on Sunday, I may even do a devotional here and there, but if I haven't fully surrendered my heart to God, intimacy cannot happen. And the Bible actually warns us of this. We see it in Matthew 15, 1 through 9. It says, these people honor me with their lips. In other words, they say the right things, but their hearts are far from me. Matthew 7, 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will plainly tell them, I never knew you. And that's a scary thought to go throughout life and never have known God and for God to never have known us because we never let our guard completely down. We never let the walls down for God to draw close. Now, can I be real with you guys this morning? Is that okay with y'all? Can I be transparent? There are things that get in the way of me having intimacy with God many times. And the first thing that I believe that gets in the way a lot of times, and maybe you can relate to this, is I can let good get in the way of God. We're so busy filling up our schedules with good things that we leave no time for God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? You hear a message about spending time with God, and you're like, man, I'm super busy. I mean, I've got to work. My kids have soccer. They have all kinds of different things. And so I want to squeeze it in, but how do I make it happen? And the Bible actually gives us a good example of this, how we let good get in the way of God. If you have your Bibles, or if you don't have one, there's one on the bottom of the seat right in front of you. That's our gift to you. You can actually take that with you. But Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42 I want to read this with you guys to really give us that good example of how we let good get in the way of God. Verse 38, chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, I think the page number is up there, page 507 in the Bible that's right in front of you. It says, now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You ever been in a situation where you're busy working and somebody else is chillaxing? 
and you can only handle so much. You're like, okay, they're going to get up any minute now, right? Wives, I know what I'm talking about. I'm guilty of that. They're cleaning, they're washing dishes, and you're sitting there watching the TV. And it's like, okay, he's going to get up. This dude's going to get up. Okay, when is this foe going to get up, right? I know what I'm talking about. Well, that's what Martha was doing here. Don't call your husband a foe, by the way, but it was just for my example. Now look at this. But the Lord answered her. He said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Everybody say one thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I read a, a book a while back, a few years back, that's called Crazy Busy. Obviously, the title caught my attention. I'm like, okay, that's me right now. You remember that book? And one of the things that the author asked is he said, if somebody watched our lives, like if they were watching a movie, what would they determine is the good portion of our day? In other words, that one thing that we always got done no matter what. And how many of us would say that spending time with Jesus would be that thing? Be honest. So here's the thing. If you've heard this before, we make time for the things that we see important. Can we agree with that? Right? And we have to understand that nothing will impact our life more like spending time with Jesus. See, if I want to be a better husband to my wife, I spend time with God because God will convict me on what's not right. Sometimes we'll have an argument. I walk out of the door and I'm like, man, I'm going to go spend time with Jesus. Thinking nothing about the argument, I open up my Bible and God's like, hey, what's going on with that argument you just had with her earlier? We need to talk about that. Or sometimes I'm in such a hurry, right, trying to provide for my family, trying to do good things, and God in his presence will stop me and say, hold on, your kids need your attention right now. They won't be here forever. So nothing can impact your life more like spending time with God. We have to block off time for that, guys. Not because he's going to love you more if you do it, or he loves you less when you don't. We do it because he's saying, I can finally speak to you when I have your undivided attention. I can finally show you how to avoid a lot of what you're going through right now. And I can finally guide you. Nothing can impact our lives more than spending time with God. The next thing that I believe gets in the way of us having intimacy with God is we lack transparency sometimes before God. And guys, now more than ever, with social media, people aren't real. Let's be honest, right? Think about it. There's a filter for everything. It's like I can't even take a picture without using a filter because there's lack of transparency. And if we're not careful, sometimes we can even start to compare our lives to somebody's highlight reel. You notice that people only post the good, the good things on social media, the good moments, the good times, but nobody posts things like I just had an argument with my wife and we just fought like crazy. We lack transparency, and I'm, I'm afraid that sometimes that's affected our relationship with God. For whatever reason, when we come to God, we can't be real and say, God, I'm struggling with some things right now. God, I need you to heal this area of my life. God, my marriage is struggling right now, God. I need you to come in and start touching this wound right here. And we're not real. For whatever reason, we think God doesn't know. A good example is in the book of Genesis, chapter 32, Verse 22, let me give you some background on this story. Jacob was a man that when he was born, he came out, the Bible says he came out grasping his brother's heel. So just imagine that, right? Two babies being born and one of them is grasping the other's heel. And because of that, he was given the name Jacob, which back then meant deceiver or supplanter, meaning taking what's not yours. So if you read the story of Jacob, you see this play out in his life. He's always taking what's not his and he's always deceiving. 
If I had time, I would preach on that. How sometimes you hear something so much that you start to believe it. And a lot of the beliefs that we have right now have nothing to do with who God says you are. But we've heard it so much that we take it and say, well, that must be who I am. And that's not true. And so in this moment where we're about to read, Jacob has this encounter with God where he finally says, I'm tired of being sick and tired. I need something to be different. I need there to be change. And look at what happens in Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It says, the same night he arose, he took his two wives, different times, guys, chill out, his two female servants, his 11 children, so we know he was Mexican, and he crossed the ford of the Javik. I can say that. Some of you are like, man, can I say that? Like, can I laugh at that? Right? Y'all chill out, it's okay. And so look at this. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until breaking, the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his socket of his hip, and his hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now how many would say, that's where I would have given up right there? Too much pain, I'm done. But you can see that Jacob is saying, I can't go back to being the same person. So look at what happens here. He says, let me go for the day has broken. God is speaking to Jacob and saying, let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. In other words, I will not let you go until you change the situation. I can't go back the way I, uh, to what I was doing. And he said to him, what is your name? So God is now asking his name. Now stop and ask yourself this question. Do you really think that God didn't know his name? Of course not. The Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on our head. He definitely knows our name. But what God was doing in this situation is he was, in a way, testing Jacob to say, are you going to be transparent and real with me in this moment? He had a split decision to make right there in that moment. Jacob could have given any name that he thought of. But he responded, my name is Jacob. In other words, God, I've been a deceiver. God, I've been a supplanter. And then you keep reading and God says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've wrestled with God and have overcome. He went from deceiver to overcomer. And what that shows me, guys, is that in order for God to start the process of who he's called us to be, we first have to admit who we've been. In order for God to start the process of who he's called us to be, we first have to admit who we've been. We have to come with full transparency before the presence of God and say, God, I'm tired of putting up these masks. I struggle with this. I struggle with God. that, God. I need healing. That's why I don't understand people that say, I don't go to church because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I'm sorry that you have that idea, because if we could really see through spiritual eyes, we would see in each and every one of these chairs, there are broken people. You may be further along than somebody else, but we've all got some brokenness, and this is where we come to get healing. This is where we come to get restored. This is where we come to admit that we don't have it all together, that we need a Savior, someone more powerful than, than myself, to bring back what's, what's been lost. Does that make sense? So he replies, my name is Jacob, and God changes his name. See, how can God bring healing if I haven't allowed him to get close enough to touch the wound? We've gotten so accustomed to not allowing people to see who we truly are, and it's affected our relationship with God. And the, the church has been preaching so much on not doing life alone. Can I ask you a question this morning? Who in your life right now knows what's going on? Who in your life can you open up and say, look, I'm struggling with some things, and they won't judge you, they won't point the finger at you, but they point you in the direction of Jesus. You know, I've had multiple, multiple instances where I've, I've had opportunities where men have come to me who have failed in their marriage, right, have committed adultery. And I didn't understand why God was doing that at the beginning. 
But I believe that God was using me to bring healing to a man that was wounded. And the one common denominator that I get from every one of these men who have gone through that is they all say nobody knew what was going on. I couldn't be real and transparent with someone, so nobody knew what was going on, and therefore healing was never brought to avoid that situation from happening. And I want to challenge you this morning, guys. Connect with somebody. Build those relationships. If right now you don't know who it is, start praying and say, God, bring some men who are not going to point me in the, right direct, in the wrong direction when I have an argument with my wife, but they point me to Jesus. God, bring some women that when I'm going through a hard time, they're not going to say, hey, let's go out to happy hour and just have a good time and drink it up. There's tons of guys out there. No, you need people that are going to challenge you, that you can be transparent with, that you can say, look, I'm struggling with this right now. I need you to point me to Jesus. Where do I go? And they can pray with you and lift your arms when you feel weak. Amen? Guys, we need that transparency in our lives. And as I close... I think that one of the things that also gets in the way of us having intimacy with God is what happens if I let my guard down? How do I know God's not going to break my heart or reject me? Because everybody that I've allowed to get close has hurt me. Everybody that I've allowed to get close has wounded me. Look at what Psalm 51 verse 17 says. It says, my sacrifice is, oh God, this is David speaking, my sacrifice is, oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite, meaning a crushed heart, God, you will not despise. So when you bring your brokenness and you bring your heart that feels crushed right now, God does not reject it. He says, I've been waiting for you this whole time. I'm ready to bring healing into your life and start the transformation process. I love how when we read the word of God, we see God's image in his example of him not standing the separation anymore how sin was separating us and he said I can't stand this anymore I have to be close to my created there has to be intimacy there has to be a relationship so he sends Jesus to die on the cross so that that could be the connection between us and God and the Bible says in Romans 5 8 that while we were yet sinners Christ came and he died for us so what does that let you know God is not asking for you to have it all together before you come to him He said, I know you're going to mess up. I know you've got some broken areas. I know you've got some things that you need to work on. But before you even fix yourself, I'm going to die for you because that's what true love is. He wasn't waiting for you to get it all together. So if right now you feel this tugging in your heart and you're like, I want that intimacy with God, but the first thing that comes into your mind are the mistakes, the things that aren't right, the things that you feel like aren't put together in order for you to come to God, God is saying, that's the reason you need me. It's because you're not put together. You don't need a savior. You don't need a lifeguard when you're standing on dry ground. You need a lifeguard when you're drowning. And we need a savior. Amen? See, God desires to come close and to heal the deep wounds, to set us free from the sin that entangles us and paralyzes us from our God-given potential. No one here was created by mistake. You may have been told that you were an accident, but God had a purpose for your life. And you're breathing today because God says, I still have a plan for you. It's not over. Sometimes life can make you feel like it's over. Sometimes mistakes and and failures can make you feel like it's over. And God is saying, no, with me, as long as you're alive and you're breathing, there's still more for us to do. The Bible says that he takes the foolish and he confuses the wise because God says, you know what, I'm going to use him, I'm going to use her. And people who have it all together supposedly look and say, that person's being used by God. And God says, yes, that's how I roll. That's how I do things. 
So God's not waiting for you to have it all together. He says, draw close to me and I will give you peace. How many of you this morning would say, I need some peace in my life right now? Amen. I'll raise my hand. God says, draw close to me and I will give you true joy. Not the joy that the uh, world offers, but true joy. God says, draw close to me and I will bring meaning and purpose in your life. When you wake up in the morning, you will no longer feel like you're going through the motions, but you wake up knowing God has a purpose and a plan for me. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that's what God desires to do. Is he desires for you to know him, not just by name, but to truly know him with intimacy and a relationship with him.